Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. You know, I've been talking about earned media value for quite some time on this podcast. My friends at Eisenberg have just raised the bar on earned media benchmarks with their social index. Social Index now gives you globally earned media values across a growing list of six geographies for all your KPIs across the top seven social platforms, Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, Snapchat, TikTok, Twitter, and YouTube. You can now visualize these values for deeper analysis, and they have a look-back window over two years of historical comparisons. Social Index is updated daily. Don't get stuck with old data. Over 1,000 companies have used the social index to understand the ROI of their social campaigns. And if you work with a social agency, you should demand they incorporate earned media values into your reports. Get your earned media value for social content. Visit earnedmediavalues.com slash Allen. Again, that's earnedmediavalues.com slash A-L-A-N. For all of us, it's about predicting where the consumer is going and getting half of it right. One of the things we want to do is create ads that don't suck. Embracing change creates great possibility. I'm Alan Hart, and this is Marketing Today. Today on the show, I've got David Fossus, and over the course of his career, he's worked with over 35 brands, including General Motors, Verizon, HP, Hewlett Packard Enterprises, Visa, P&G, Clorox, CVS, Philips Healthcare, and many others. Today, he currently serves as the Chief Marketing Officer for Restore Hyper Wellness, a fast-growing retail wellness brand in the U.S., and in his role, he leads consumer experience, marketing communications, and revenue operations to drive their business growth and brand value. On the show today, we talk about the role of CMO and the potential of marketing in general for the organization and maybe what we are leaving out as marketers today. We also talk about the new growth titles, if you will, chief customer officers, chief digital officers, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And what's the impact of that as it relates to marketing and the CMO role itself? Then we talk about the potential between demand generation and brand marketing, as well as purpose. So a lot to cover on this show today, a lot to learn about how a CMO thinks about the role of marketing and a greater good and the greater organization. And so I hope you enjoy this conversation with David Bosses. Well, David, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Well, 
I have to start this conversation with this crazy story of running you had with Jean-Claude Van Damme. You got to tell me about this. Yeah, it was a fun one. I started my career in the movie business working at a talent agency called uh, International Creative Management. And an agent there, Jack Gilardi, represented Jean-Claude Van Damme. I started my career there at the, in the mailroom. And while Jack's assistant was out of town, I got a chance to go work and support Jack for a couple of weeks. And Jean-Claude comes into the office and I'm totally geeking out because Bloodsport was like one of my favorite movies growing up. So Jean-Claude introduces himself. He shakes my hand and he says, when I call you, you better make sure that I get a hold of Jack. Otherwise, I'll kick you in the head. <laughs> and uh, I, was, I was petrified, but also, like I said, totally geeking out because he was one of my favorite actors growing up. And so it was, a, it was a fun little way to start my career in the movie business. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, just the visual of that. I mean, uh, holy moly, would your head, I feel like your head would explode. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He was not that much taller than me, but holy cow. I mean, was he intimidating? So is he, cause you're, you're not, I mean, you're an average height kind of guy. I didn't realize, is he average height too? Like roughly? Yeah. He's uh, I think he's like five, nine, something like okay, that. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Right. He, they always make him look ginormous in the movies. So uh, it's, it's the power of filmmaking. <laughs> That's awesome. That's like, uh, it reminds me of, um, oh my gosh, uh, the guy in Top Gun and all Tom Cruise. Tom Cruise. Yeah. He's yeah. a small guy too. He is. He is. That's pretty funny. It's pretty funny. Well, all right. So from almost getting kicked in the head by Jean-Claude Van Damme to becoming CMO of Restore Hyper Wellness, you got to fill in the blanks. Where'd you, where'd you start and how'd you end up CMO at Restore? Yeah. Well, so I went to Syracuse for undergrad, studied television, radio, and film. I wanted to be a writer and a director and a producer. Moved out to LA and, and got a job in the mailroom at ICM, which is kind of the kind of like the MBA for the entertainment business. You go and you work at a talent agency, develop your network, kind of learn the mechanics of the industry, and then you go out into other areas that you want to move into, like writing, producing, whatever it might be. Hmm. I ended up finding that I had a knack for the business side of, of entertainment and actually ended up working for several different agents. I eventually kind of... My boss became a, a partner over at Endeavor where I used to look kind of into Ari Emanuel's office and sat next to his assistants. And then I went into a film finance and production company where I was the chief of staff and kind of manager of corporate development for the business. And this was all in the 2000s. And so social media was just uh, early on the rise, but you started to see trends like average people getting millions and millions of views on YouTube, Facebook, Twitter were all kind of coming up. And I really felt like these new channels were going to disrupt the entertainment business and the content business. And I felt like brands for the first time were going to have a direct channel to communicate with their audiences, whereas traditionally they had to either buy advertising to connect with those audiences, or they had to convince journalists to write about them to access those audiences. And so uh, in 2010, I moved out to New York, did a bunch of networking and ultimately landed at uh, Big Fuel Communications, which was an early kind of innovator in in social media and, and content marketing. We became the agency of record for General Motors across the, its four brands as it came out of bankruptcy. And I call myself the accidental marketer. I ended up just falling in love with all aspects of marketing. I ended up at uh, Real Chemistry after that, where I worked with Verizon and Hewlett Packard Enterprise and several brands in the technology and, and pharmaceutical space. And I, at some point, started to think about becoming a CMO. I ultimately went and got my MBA at the same time as I was working. Mm-hmm. I went to UT graduated from that, made the decision I wanted to become a CMO. So it felt like it was time to leave the agency side and move to 
the brand side. Mm-hmm. I ended up landing a job as the first kind of global head of brand for WP Engine, mm-hmm. which is a platform for building websites on WordPress. Yep. And the opportunity I saw with WP Engine and WordPress was in a lot of ways, what I saw with social media kind of earlier on, which was we were enabling marketers to build digital experiences in a more agile way and be less kind of captured by developers to be able to kind of deploy things. And so I kind of helped them for three years and then landed at Restore three years ago as their first CMO. Got introduced through a mutual friend, fell in love with the concept, fell in love with what we were trying to do as far as changing the dynamics of, of healthcare and took the leap and, and have been here for three years. That's awesome. That's awesome. And we met when you were at WP Engine. So it's been a while, but tell me a little bit more about the company you're at now, Restore Hyper Wellness and you know, just general state of the business. Where are you guys in the development of the business and what do you kind of offer to the market? Sure. So Restore Hyper Wellness is the leading provider of health and wellness services in a retail environment in the U.S., We do things like IV drips, cryotherapy, mild hyperbaric oxygen therapy, shots, compression, sauna, red light therapy, a bunch of kind of innovative health and wellness modalities that traditionally the average consumer hasn't had access to. These are things that athletes have had access to for decades and have been using to improve their performance and their their recovery. It's people that kind of the wealthier uh, folks have had access to, but really not the average consumer. And so what I loved about the kind of vision and mission about Restore is to make what we call hyper wellness more accessible and affordable for everyone so people can feel their best and do more of what they love. When I started at the company, it was a early stage Series A company. They had raised only $5 million and they had about 30 locations when I started March 2nd of 2020, right before the pandemic hit. And you know, fast forward three years, we are just about to hit 200 locations nationally. We're in over 40 states and continuing to go grow really quickly. So really what we've been trying to do is change the dynamic around healthcare where traditionally you can think of healthcare as, as really more focused on sick care. You wait until you're sick right. um, before you go and see a doctor and likely you're going to get prescribed some types of medications to help you feel better. But what if we change the dynamic and made you more proactively healthy so that you get sick less and have to go to the doctor less and have to spend less on your healthcare? And so over time, that's kind of our vision is to help, help people be more proactive and preventative about their healthcare, feel their best so they can do more of what they love and lower costs of healthcare over time. Yeah. I mean, it sounds fantastic. And the fact that I listened to the Tim Ferriss podcast and his show, and that's frankly my first entree into the podcasting was listening to his show. He does all of these, um, he would call them health hacks, but he's experimented with all the things that you've talked about, IV drips, cryotherapy, et cetera. And now there's a place I can walk in and I don't have to know what he knows and redo all the research. I can just access that myself. It sounds fun. <laughs> yeah, no, that's exactly right. There's been kind of this niche community of biohackers that have been doing this stuff for years now. Yeah. What we're trying to do is make it more accessible and affordable for everyone. So you come and you visit a restore and you don't necessarily know what, what you need to do within our four walls. We can kind of counsel you based on your health goals. We'll recommend different modalities to help you feel your best. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. 
So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promoting for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. That's awesome. That's awesome. And I, there is one in development not too far from my house, so... I can't wait till you guys open. <laughs> yeah, we'll make sure to get you in there. <laughs> so, uh, well, let's talk a little bit about marketing. Um, I know we last talked, uh, we were talking about this untapped potential of marketing and the role of CMO. And I'd love to get you to talk about that. Like, how, do you, how are you thinking about the potential of marketing and the role of CMO? Yeah, I think the potential lies a lot in what it appears we're losing as CMOs and as a marketing function. If we go back to the, the 1950s and kind of the, the notion of the marketing mix and the, and the four Ps with product, pricing, placement, and promotion, more and more, the CMO is getting, and the marketing organization is getting siloed or pigeonholed into just the promotion side mm -hmm. for communications. And we're not as influential, let alone kind of actually overseeing the product innovation, the pricing and the packaging, and the placement of, the, of those products. And so... I think the opportunity for us as CMOs is to go back to being more well-rounded business people mm -hmm. and not just the communicators for the organization. And I think that's increasingly difficult for us as well, because one, I think we've done not the best job of marketing ourselves right. within the C-suite and amongst investors. And even just the communication side of what we do has become just so much more dynamic and complex with all the different channels that we have to now manage and, and become experts at. No, it makes, it makes a lot of sense. And I actually, this topic came up just the other day. I was doing a recording uh, an interview with somebody as well. And we talked about this, the diminishing impact of the four P's or, or not the impact of the four P's, but the role, I guess, that the CMO plays in driving the four P's. It ended up talking about a, a topic around narratives and using narrative economics uh, and data in the outside world to try to understand how you can influence the narrative around your business, around your industry, around your sectors, et cetera. The interesting thing about that, and I think this is where you're going, is it means that you have to elevate the role of CMO to not just be a comms role, but to be a business person that understands the market and understands your business's role in that market. And then connect the dots to say, what should we do about it? <laughs> right? Um, yeah. And be that thought partner at the C-suite level. That's exactly right. I believe that we need to be better partners to the CEO and the CFO in particular. And while I'm not the CEO, I, I need to think like a CEO and I need to think about the considerations across the organization and the impact that we're having as a marketing organization Yeah, and how what we do influences the other departments. And there's also another dynamic that it kind of varies by industry, right? If you're in traditional CPG, if you're at a Procter & Gamble, for example, mm -hmm. the brand manager, brand director is actually overseeing product kind of innovation. They oversee R&D and, yep. and really are kind of like the business owner for that brand. You go to the tech sector and they've got a whole different organization called product that is focused on 
product innovation. And then you've got the marketing organizations supporting that. And so I think as marketers, we need to be conscious of, of the industry that we're in. And, and it's not so much about doing a land grab for ownership over more areas of the business, but it is about putting your business cap on and influencing the conversations and decisions that are being made. Because ultimately, as the marketers, we are ultimately responsible for the success of that product. Mm-hmm. We can complain about features not being available on the product that consumers want, but in the end, we're responsible for that, that revenue that's coming in and the growth trajectory of the business and the strength of the brand. And so we need to at least be influencing those decisions and those conversations, if not owning them. Yeah, no, I 100% agree. I think one thing I'd add, you highlighted it a little bit ago, but I'll just underline it, underscore it, is the notion of partnership with your other C-suite peers. I don't know how many newly minted executives that kind of rise to that. And it doesn't have to be a CMO, but like any C-suite level person rises to the C-suite. Well, they largely probably got there through demonstrating their performance, their excellence in their core function. I don't know what it is about the organizations we construct, but there's limited partnership opportunities at the like mid-lower levels. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, It's all about fighting to get to the next thing. But as soon as you make that jump to the C-suite, and I, I'm curious to get your thoughts on this, it just feels like all that has to go away because you are not going to be effective resolving conflict, finding common ground, understanding where we're going as a company if you guys don't work as a team at the C-suite level and have shared accountability. I don't know if you agree with that, but like I've started to see it and really understand it more myself. Yeah, no, that's exactly right. I was introduced to a concept at my last company at WP Engine called Team One. And the idea is that the C-level, when we go into our leadership team meeting, we're taking off our functional hats and we're coming in as executives for the organization. And we're debating things and discussing things from that mindset to do what's best for the organization. And intuitively, sometimes that's difficult because I want to go out and do really cool marketing campaigns and make sure that my team is highlighted and, and things like that. But I have to put those things aside when I go into the leadership team meeting and really do what's best for the organization and understand that over the long term, that's going to be the best thing for the marketing team as well. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that makes sense. Well, regardless of the CMO role in the C-suite, we've also seen some other roles start to trickle in or titles. You know, you've got chief customer officers, you've got chief digital officers. As you think about that, like what's the impact to that on marketing and the CMO, if you have one in those organizations? Yeah, I think it reflects some of that specialization that we've been talking about. And, and, you know, the world works so quickly now and investors expect returns Mm -hmm. really quickly. And there's this whole aspect around digital transformation as well, right? So when you think about the average tenure of a CMO being about, about three years, it's about 40 months, I believe that's about as long as as it takes for you to come in, develop a strategy, execute on that strategy, and really start to see that transformation that you initially came in to to do occur, right? And then it's kind of on to the next transformation because we have to continue to evolve as organizations. And whatever might be the most kind of crucial and critical goal that the company might have can and should evolve over those three years. And so if you don't do a good job of showing that you're a that business partner that can evolve with the business, you're making yourself susceptible to 
this idea that, okay, now what we don't need is a CMO. We've done that. We've gotten to where we need to go. Now we need a, a chief brand officer or a chief customer officer. Because the next thing we do need to do is really focus on the customer life cycle. So let's right. hire a chief customer officer. And so that's still a marketing function. It's just now it's, that's the thing that the, that the organization needs to focus on. And yeah. so I think all these titles, chief customer officer, chief digital officer, chief business officer, things like that are just different views and specializations around the broader CMO role. Yeah, I 100% agree with you. I think I've seen data related to this, uh, particularly around the title chief digital officer, which had, I think, came into play probably like five-ish years ago, maybe five to 10, depending on how future forward people were. And largely around what you described, the digital transformation need that the organizations needed to do. And and it was a skill set addition, if you will, to the marketing toolkit. And some CMOs didn't have it. So they complemented the organizations with these chief digital officers. And over time, I think those titles have started to decline to a degree as the CMO has regained, <laughs> you know, the role has been redefined to include digital as its core function. So it's interesting. And I would imagine, I mean, if I'm a betting person and I don't really do that, don't bet very much, <laughs> that these other titles will probably see the other, the same the same evolution over time, right? And coming back into the core function of chief marketing officers. It just really is unfortunate for CMOs that and marketing marketers as a functional group of individuals and community that like we allow that to happen to ourselves. Like we need to be a little more adaptive. <laughs> yeah. No, it is sad, but but like you said, these things go in cycles. And I think right yeah. now we're just in a particularly distracted world. Mm -hmm. And so it's easy to kind of digest and think about things in, in, in smaller pieces. And so you think about the CMO role in smaller pieces, because when you think about everything that a CMO really needs to become expert at and lead, it is, it's quite a lot and, and it can be overwhelming. And certainly for folks that aren't actually marketers and haven't been trained in this. Yeah, a hundred percent, hundred percent. And all of what we're talking about kind of mirrors a conversation I was having and I believe it's in the episode that I recorded with Norm Houston, who's a headhunter, executive recruiter, mm -hmm. places all these people with all these various titles, but largely says the same thing that we're talking about, which is marketers, the CMO role should live on for indefinitely, even despite the trade press that want to kill it every time you turn around. It's just a matter of stretching it over time with these other roles. So I think that makes sense. Um, yeah, I love that. As we think about the core function of marketing or the, the objectives of marketing, there's been this tension in the past about demand generation and brand marketing. And I'm just curious to understand how you think about the relationship between those two components. Yeah. Well, well similarly, yes, I, I, what I see now too is that there is this kind of friction between demand generation and brand. And this idea that, well, demand generation is the revenue generating activity within marketing. And brand is this kind of softer thing that we think we might need to do around kind of longer term brand strength, or it's more oftentimes just kind of siloed to upper funnel and, uh, and kind of creative activities. And so what I really believe is that these are really two things, two sides of the same coin, right? When I think about brand management or brand development, it's really about understanding and, and kind of conducting the right consumer and market research, developing the core positioning, messaging, voice, tone, visual style. Of, of the brand and then executing that consistently across the funnel and across channels and creative and content experiences. Mm. On the demand generation side, you're really thinking about things, the strategy across the funnel. So if it's you know awareness, interest, consideration, purchase, loyalty, 
what are the channels we need to play in at each of those stages of the funnel? How are we converting people and moving them across that funnel? And then what are those creative content needs? And the brand side plays in that. And so I don't think you can do really uh, strong, long-term demand generation if you're not really thoughtful about the brand as well. Mm. And having those two practices kind of integrated. One of the key things that I think that happens is with demand generation, it kind of gets bucketed down. It's really more kind of lead generation, performance marketing, direct response. So it's kind of at the lower side of the funnel mm-hmm. is where it gets siloed to. And the challenge with that is once you achieve a level kind of, of, of efficiency in acquiring customers, you kind of plateau there and you're starting to fight for audience or, or customers with all of your direct competitors who are all going after that same pool. Demand generation is really full funnel where you're trying to acquire audiences at the top of the funnel and drive them down. And so, like I said, I think these two practices are, are, are best done when integrated. And I think the challenge for CMOs or people that are going for CMO roles is oftentimes the requirement from the, from the company or the headhunter or whoever it is, is, oh, well, we're looking for a CMO with more demand generation focus, or we're looking for right. someone with more brand focus, or sometimes it's product marketing focus. When in reality, those things all need to be integrated and you need a CMO that can really kind of lead both sides of those things. Yeah, no, it makes sense. And I think maybe it's us marketing, marketing again, to use yeah. your term, yeah. know, like, and, and controlling the narrative that demand generation is actually fully encompasses both performance marketing, which is what I think a lot of people are looking for and brand. So like, I love your example of, you know, once the efficiencies are gained, you're now competing with the top of the funnel because <laughs> it's true. It's true. I don't know. I was reading a report recently around stats as it relates to paid search ads, right? And the percentage of people that click on it and what percentage of them were likely driven through uh, top of funnel activity, right? It just happened to be that that was the first search result with the right name in the title <laughs> that they were looking for. Yeah, that's right. And and in such a kind of quantified world and world where marketers are, are being held accountable to reporting and, and optimizing and showing, well, what's, what's the like silver bullet that is converting our customers? Those conversations lose their nuance to your point that, yeah, somebody came in from that search ad or somebody came in from that direct response Facebook ad, right. but they were actually touched by your brand 17 times, 30 times before through some more upper funnel activity right. before they were actually ready to convert. Mm-hmm. And so there's a kind of a level of myopia on that lower funnel activity that I think is uh, cutting short the value that marketing can provide. Yeah. Oh, very well said. Well, another topic for you. I mean, we're hitting all the hot buttons today. <laughs> we might as <laughs> go go for the uh, 800 pound gorilla in the room. Purpose. Purpose and the concept of it seems to be everywhere in the marketing ecosphere today. How are you thinking about purpose and how it relates to marketing in general? Yeah, this one is a good and meaty one. I'll probably get in trouble a little <laughs> bit, but we've been talking as marketers, we've been talking about creating purpose-driven brands for a long time. Jim Stengel, who's the former global CMO for Procter & Gamble, did a lot of great research around this. And there's been any number of studies around um, the value of purpose-driven brands. They, they create more value, your faster value than the S- S&P 500, uh, better job creation and things like that. I think where we've lost the, lost the plot as marketers is we've confused being purpose-driven with being cause-driven. Mm. 
And if I think about the last couple of years in particular, there's a big focus on kind of communicating around causes that may or may not have to do with the actual business product service that's being offered. And I think that's okay every once in a while, but when that becomes the primary goal, I think we are doing the, the business and their employees a disservice by, by not focusing on the innovation and the unique offering that the business has. Being purpose-driven doesn't necessarily have to be cause-driven. I think Google's purpose, for example, is organizing the world's information. At least that's what it was early on when it was founded. Our purpose here at Restore is to make hyper-wellness more accessible and affordable for everyone. And so I chose to work at a company where there's that where the kind of mission and purpose is aligned to a some level of social cause and in, in creating more equity in healthcare. But that's not necessarily the case if you're working for, I don't want to pick on any brands, but if you're working <laughs> right. for any given tech brand or any right. given consumer brand, the purpose could be, I forget which one it was, but one of my favorites from Procter & Gamble, I think it might be Swiffer or something like that, is really about giving, giving moms their time back, right? right. By giving them a, yeah. a better tool to clean the house. Mm-hmm. And so that's a worthy cause. It doesn't necessarily have to be about being green or, or, or something else. Right. Right. Yeah. I mean, and you can find to your point, like it would be hard, I think, for Swiffer to claim eco-friendliness based on the disposable nature of the pads, but they could totally own building social social strength within families. Right. Yeah. Because it gives you time, time that you can invest in people. And that's the best investment you can make in your life. Right. And it's picking the right thing to focus on that's core to the product that you're actually providing to the marketplace. And to your point, like, how do you not lose the plot that your product needs to evolve to or service and you need to keep up with the times and make it fresh and unique and differentiating on an, on its own level. Yeah, no, that's exactly right. I mean, look, I'm a, I'm a dad of three kids. We're <laughs> uh, a two parent working household, any product or company that's going to give me time back with my kids and, I spend less time cleaning after them and spending more time playing with them, educating them, working on their homework with them, whatever it is, the more valuable time that I can spend with them, the better. And so that, like I said, I think that's a worthy cause. I think that's a great purpose for a business to have. Mm-hmm. It doesn't necessarily have to have a, a, a social cause behind it. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think I, I'm seeing an equation in, in my life of purpose does not equal cause. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> so, well, cool. Well, I mean, man, we've tackled chief marketing officers to the growth title expansion of that to relationship between demand generation and brand and purpose covered a lot of ground. I'd love to get to know you a little bit better and have everyone that's listening to this get to know you a little bit better and switch gears. My favorite question to ask everybody that comes on the show is what experience of your past defines and makes up who you are today? Yeah, that's a great question. I think one of the one of the core, I'll say it's insights. Well, I guess it's an experience as well. So, um, my dad was an entrepreneur, is an entrepreneur, and he hit a rough patch and had to declare bankruptcy in his business. And it was kind of one of those things that came at a really impactful time in my life. It was my, I think, junior or senior year in high school, and so I think kind of two things really came out of it. One was I never wanted to put myself in that position and I wanted to be kind of financially sound and kind of be smart with my money. And, and I've admittedly, I've ebbed and flowed 
right? With, with that, but as I think we all do, but it's always been something that's been important in my mind that I've worked for is a level of kind of financial freedom to be able to work on the projects that I want to work on, the work with the companies that I want to work on. And the second thing that came out of that was this realization that came out around a little bit later, which is I'm an entrepreneur too. I have this entrepreneurial spirit and the, the types of companies that I've pursued working with have not necessarily been the obvious ones, but they've been one where I could really leverage that entrepreneurial spirit to make an impact in the business as, as a marketer and now as a CMO. No, that's, that's a, a pretty cool experience. I, I have that same entrepreneurial streak, but didn't realize what it was because I didn't have an example like your, like a parent who had gone through that journey before. I didn't really even have a parent that was in business. So I'm a little envious, but I also hear the pain that <laughs> of those cycles can cause on, uh, on, on families at the same time, even despite your best efforts. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Well, what advice would you give your younger self if you were starting this journey all over again? So I think if I was starting all over again, I would really f- focus on understanding business earlier in my career. Like if I'm talking to my kids, for example, it's the advice I'm going to give them when they're going into college, if, if they even go to college at this point, but that's a whole other rant. <laughs> but it would be, you know, major in something that teaches you how to make something. Mm. And then double major in business, because that ultimately is what drives our world. And having a fundamental understanding around how business works is going to help you either be an entrepreneur or be a better employee when you're coding the next greatest technology, trying to make an impact in healthcare, whatever it might be. If you understand the mechanics, how the business operates and how people are making decisions, Mm-hmm. it's going to accelerate your path to making an impact and in, in achieving the goals that you have. Yeah, no, I a hundred percent agree with you. And I've had the same conversation with my 15 year old daughter, who's starting to think about what she wants to major in college. And luckily it's like an engineering field is what she thinks about right now. But I keep pushing, let's, let's do a minor in business too. You know, like, yeah. <laughs> she's like, but dad, that's what you do. I'm like, yeah, but you need to understand how the world works because you're going to be in a business world at some point. So yeah, that's exactly hundred percent right. agree. Well, um, as you think about marketing and it's changing quite a bit, is there any topic you think other marketers should be learning more about, or maybe something you're trying to learn more about yourself? Yeah. I mean, as marketers, I think we always need to be testing and learning just as if you're in product, it's, it's kind of a, a constant you know, product innovation cycle. As marketers, we need to be doing that as well, testing and learning through campaigns and new technologies and things like that. But what I do see now happening, and it's pigeonholing marketers, is they come up from a specific area, say it's social media or SEO or whatever, and they have a, a really narrow view of the broader marketing world. Now as a CMO, I see it amongst teams that I've worked with where one side of marketing or one you know, group or specialty within marketing doesn't necessarily understand or, or, or sometimes even value what another area of marketing is doing. Mm-hmm. They're, they're really struggling to see the kind of integrated view of how all these, all these specialties kind of play together. And so the recommendation I give to marketers, particularly that are still kind of earlier in their careers is to test and kind of play around in different areas. Um, mm-hmm. You have plenty of time to specialize and kind of accelerate your career. In your earlier days, test how does social media work and, and how do I engage people on these different channels? How does SEO work? How does paid media work? 
And how is it different amongst different channels and, and, and platforms? And and really try to get a better holistic kind of understanding of how these things play together so that you can be a stronger marketer as you get more senior. Love that. Love that. That's great. That's great advice. Well, are there any brands, companies, or causes that you follow personally or you think other people should take notice of? Yeah, I think there's some fun ones. I get teased by my friends a lot um, around <laughs> a hat company called Melon, M-E-L-I-N. I've become a yeah, you know, I probably have probably like five or six of their hats now. They're more <laughs> like they're more durable. The, the whole marketing around them is that they're more durable. You can take them running, swimming, whatever. You can kind of beat them up and they easily clean up and they hold their fit and all this stuff. And it was totally one of those where like as a as a marketer, I succumbed to <laughs> some really solid kind of Instagram marketing and and yeah. did a purchase on a whim. And now I've got like five or six of them and my friends make fun of me for them. I have a similar one. And unless you CrossFit or something like that, like I don't think you'd come across it, but it's a this company called 10,000. It's the one area that I've like gone into that like macho land because I'm just enamored by the fact that it's like tested by like special operators and you know, it's like indestructible athletic attire. I am no way in their same category of any of those athletes <laughs> or professionals, but I like to play it on TV. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I actually, it's funny you said that because I, I just recently bought my first couple pairs of, of shorts from there and it was yeah primarily influenced by, we just launched our first podcast here at Restore mm-hmm. and we ended up partnering with a influencer named Eric Hinman who mm-hmm. is deep in the kind of health and wellness space and he was actually one of the ambassadors for 10,000. So he's kind of always wearing them and yeah. I was like, I got to give myself a pair of those. Yeah. I mean, I've, I've got like lined, unlined shorts. I've got the, I think the durable shirt, the, uh, the thing I haven't gotten yet is the pullovers, uh, the outer layers, so to speak. But I've even got a pair of their, like, uh, I can't remember what they call them, but they're basically like travel pants. Uh-huh. Um, they're amazing. They're well, amazing. For how much you travel, it's worth <laughs> yeah. the investment. Yeah, exactly. 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 So Anyway, I could geek out on that forever, but yeah, I've got to, I've got to look into melon hats, especially as my hair starts to go away. <laughs> so, but anyway, well, last question for you. What do you think is the largest opportunity or threat facing marketers today? Yeah, I think the, the biggest threat is kind of what we talked about at the beginning, which is really around us losing our influence over the organization and ultimately then the impact, right? As marketers, I see our broadest kind of biggest mandate is to help the business grow, right? That is our one, number one priority and kind of build the, long, the long-term strength of the brand. And when we lose sight of that and leave the kind of business and revenue side to other executives, then I think we'll lose our influence over time. And it ultimately means that we don't get to do a lot of the cool stuff that we love to do because we're not being data-driven and tying it back to the business. And so I think that's that's our biggest threat, but it's also our biggest opportunity. You know, I think when we do it well, what I love about marketing and what I love about brand in particular is when you do great brand strategy and marketing strategy, it drives the corporate strategy, it drives the product strategy, driving the identity of the business. And so it's a lot of fun to see that impact when we do it well. Oh, couldn't agree more. And I think of marketing in that context of how you just described it. You can have a solid business, but you can't have a great business without marketing. Yeah, that's <laughs> you know, right. it, 
just the accelerator on all fronts. If you do it right and you do it well and you've got the right person at the helm influencing and driving that agenda. So David, thank you so much for coming on the show. Uh, it's been great. I know you're three years in, you're, you're fighting that 10 year edge. I don't think, <laughs> I don't think there's going to be any problem in your future, my friend. All right. I appreciate it. Great to reconnect, Alan. Hi, it's Alan again. Marketing Today was created and produced by me with post-production support from Sam Robertson. If you're new to Marketing Today, please feel free to write us a review on iTunes or your favorite listening platform. Don't forget to subscribe on marketingtodaypodcast.com. Tell your friends and colleagues about the show. I love hearing from listeners. You can contact me at marketingtodaypodcast.com. There you'll also find complete show notes and links to what was discussed in the episode today, and you can search our archives. I'm Alan Hart, and this is Marketing Today. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear, and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.